right, so very excited to get going with a, a new episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast and on for this episode to talk about the last three games and all things Pistons is Jamie Delaney. How are you, Jamie? What's going First on? time on the podcast. First time. Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, very excited to be joining you guys. For yeah, we're ex- long time coming. We're uh, long time coming. <laughs> that's that's right. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. What's uh, just so everyone at home knows how to get in touch with you outside of DBB? What's your Twitter handle? Uh, so Twitter handle is Jamie Delancey. That's usually what uh, all the stuff I write on Detroit Bad Boys is. So little weird uh but yeah mostly uh you can find me on twitter at jamie delancey okay why is that oh man wow that is a good question um i've actually it's funny you ask that because i in like real life when i have job interviews or uh talks with like real employers they're always like they think it's a typo and they try to call me on it. They're like, you spelled your last name wrong on Twitter. Uh, how dumb is that? And no, it's um, <laughs> it's just some weird, like, I have some friends who lived in New York for a little bit. And uh, obviously Delancey Street there is a very, like, I, I don't know, noteworthy street. I've, I've never lived in New York, so I have no idea. Um, but they just, like, started calling me Delancey. And it, it just kind of stuck. And uh, Delaney is, like the Irish version of Smith. So if you try to Google Delaney, there's like millions of people who come up, but Delancey has a little bit of a better SEO track record. Uh, So I did it for for very selfish reasons of having a a better Google search result for uh, all the stuff I was doing online. So that's long, short story long, uh, it's for SEO reasons. (laughs) That's that's a solid reason. Yeah. And I think Ben Ben and I just realized how many Jamie Delaney's there are in the world when we tried adding you on Skype. There's and realized a ton. just typing in the name was not enough. Yeah, if you Google Jamie Delaney, there's literally millions of people come up before me. Um, which is a little depressing uh to go through, <laughs> but you know, uh I, I found a workaround. So we're good. <laughs> solid. Okay. Well, um usually we don't start with that, Ben. We we usually I, I feel good. like we need to tr- take we need to take better care of our guests, dude. Let's and that's just, something I need to work on. Let's let's just be weird with this one. I'm I'm totally down <laughs> with the Perfect. oddball interview right now. That that's what I'm shooting okay. for. Good. I we definitely well, you nailed I, it. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good start. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I've got some as well that I'm going to throw in a little bit. Um, I've got some some big picture questions that are definitely a little more on the weird side. So yeah, this, this episode might get a little weird, Oh, perfect. Uh, but let's start with the Pistons, the, the week of Pistons basketball, because I think that was generally a little weird as well. So we have two bookend wins, yeah. uh, the win over the Knicks, the win over the Nuggets, and then stuck in the middle, second game of a back to back, a loss to a bad team, the Brooklyn Nets, 109-101 uh, on the road. And now Pistons find themselves in this little bit of a road stretch here. Uh, let's start with that Knicks game because I want to I want to get a sense from you guys of, of what what team I should believe from what I saw this week because I feel like I saw a couple different teams uh, at different points this week. So Ben, I'll start with you. Uh, in the Knicks game, did you like what you see and what did you like from what you saw in that game? Yeah. So first thing I liked was the team defense. 
um, across the board. I think Pistons were pretty pesky, and I don't think you know any single nick really went off. And that's kind of what we saw during the first week of the season. There's just you know a couple players just exploded. Uh, which led to the two losses in the first week. So I thought the team defense was good. They held the Knicks to about 40% shooting uh, as a whole. And when you can do that in the NBA, your odds of winning go up quite a bit. Um, and then, of course, I think the obvious storyline is Marcus and Tobias, who I think have been pretty fantastic, especially Tobias. But they were very strong against New York. 17 for 26 from the field, 47 points, and a really impressive double-double for Tobias, 25 and 10. Uh, so those two guys really were the tip of the spear for Detroit's offense and uh, stood out and were, were very, very good. And then I think maybe the little less obvious, unless you're a really hardcore fan, which we all are, is that KCP finally shot well against the Knicks. Um, we've been critical of him so far, but really shot the ball well and had a pretty good overall game against New York. Yeah, he did. 19 points, 4 of 6 from 3-point range. Uh, yeah, KCP definitely had a better game. Is that the KCP you expected this season, or is it more of the hot and cold shooting you saw uh, the week prior? Well, I hoped for more, but I, I'm sad to say I kind of expected the inconsistency from his shot. You know, he just hasn't been reliable yet. Um, and, you know, I, I think he's solid at other things, but... Shooting just isn't there, and he, he still hasn't done anything. It's only two weeks, long way to go. I don't know, we're going to talk a little bit more about his contract later, but unfortunately that's kind of what I've come to expect from KCP. He, the games where he shoots well, it's you know he plays really well all around, and it's like he can't miss from anywhere. Um, but unfortunately those games are the exception and not the rule right now. So, Jamie, my question after the Knicks game, and then especially after watching the Nets game, was I kind of had this feeling that maybe the Knicks are just bad. And that was part of, you know, the team defense did look good. I agree with you, Ben. But I was wondering if maybe just some of the issues the Knicks have uh, offensively, being so new to Hornacek system and, and kind of having a bit of an identity crisis with a lot of new pieces on that roster, maybe the Knicks were just not as good of a team as the Pistons. Uh, which way do you lean? Were, were the Knicks just not as good or were the Pistons better Nick, that night? Knicks are just bad. Nick, and, you know, I, I say this with a footnote because I – I've been trying to fade the Knicks uh, <laughs> ever since the season started. And of course, they beat the Bulls uh, in Chicago on Friday, which really, really cost me some coin. Uh, no, I was at the I was at the game on Tuesday against the Knicks, and they're just they don't know their identity yet. It's really funny to uh, watch in person because you can tell they're like forcing the triangle. Um, and then all of a sudden they'll call a timeout and Hornacek will like actually put a set together. And if you like go back and watch their sets out of timeouts, they do a really good job of getting Chris Stapp's, uh Porzingis in motion, which is what they should be doing more often. Like he uh, runs a pick and roll and then he rolls out to the three point line and he gets a good shot. Like that, I, I think I saw him do it like three times against the Pistons. And even though Chris Stapps didn't hit it, that's what they should be doing. And Instead, they're, like, trying to force Kristaps into stuff that he's not used to, or they're just running the offense through mellow. I just think I, I think they're trying, they're trying to do too much. Like, they should just be a pick-and-roll team. I don't, I don't think they're good. I think KCP had a good game because Courtney Lee was, like, I think Courtney Lee played, like, 38 minutes or something, like, in 2016, which is outrageous. Um, but... Yeah, I I just don't think the Knicks are a great team yet. I I think they have a lot of good pieces, but 
I like I really like Jennings this year. Um, I, I like Rose and Jennings playing together. I think there's some really interesting lineups you could put together with that. I think Porzingis is something someone you can build around. Um, but yeah, I just I don't think the Knicks are are good. Want yeah, no, they're not good. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's kind of how I lean as well. And part of it is just how they're using Carmelo Anthony and how Carmelo Anthony has decided to play after the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I I think he's, Go ahead. he's awesome to watch in person. Like, watching him and Marcus, and I, and I wrote about this week, it, it was very cool. It was like watching one of the coolest pickup games of all time. Because um, him and Marcus just went at each other one-on-one. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Carmelo's in this mode where he's just like, he's going to get his shots up. He doesn't really, like... <sighs> He doesn't initiate too much of an offense. He more of, like, kind of takes the ball and then does his, like, jab steps and and puts up a really, you know, good isolation shot, which you can't really hate on. Like, he hits it so much that you're like, yeah, it's not a bad shot. But at the same time, it's like he's not getting anyone else involved. So it's a a weird win-lose for the Knicks. They're a weird team. They're a weird team. No, that's that's well said, because with Carmelo, I, I saw last year that he started to take this role as like a distributor, and his shot attempts were down, his assists, and, his assists were up, and his assist-to-turnover ratio was much better than it had been uh, through most seasons in his career. And I thought that's kind of the trajectory he was on. Hornacek comes in, Carmelo leads Team USA in the offseason, and all of a sudden he's back to this kind of like all too often just hero ball, taking bad shots, uh, holding out of the ball too long. Uh, and, and, and part of that too, is just the triangle still being, or just having the triangle still be a part of the offense. Yeah. Ben, I know we talked in the season preview about this offense and some of the questions we had about how the Knicks were going to play basketball. And we still see some remnants of the triangle. Is that a good or bad idea for the Knicks going forward to hold on to it? Well, it doesn't make any sense with their current point guard situation. I think if you were to run the triangle, you know, your post option is probably Carmelo in the mid or high post. Or maybe on the baseline, kind of like how the Bulls used to post Jordan. But you need you need a couple of shooters, and Derrick Rose is not that. And, and frankly, Derrick Rose is not very much of anything right now. I think his his shooting is just disastrous right now. He's He's just not a very good basketball player at this point right now. And I don't know if it's going to get better. You know, if he's just still not 100% healthy or if he's just not even close to the player he was pre-injury. Um, but to me, I don't I don't see the personnel for the triangle working. I think there's – you guys raised some good points. I think when – Jordan, I think you mentioned when they came out of timeouts and had something structured, they were able to convert and at least get good looks. But they – I mean, it's so cliche to say it, but they don't have an identity in that they have just really strange mishmash of pieces happening right now that make things pretty ugly offensively. Um, one of the things I threw out there when we were previewing the divisions was that I thought Brandon Jennings might be a better point guard than Derrick Rose at this point in their respective careers, and, and that's still an open question for me. Um, so far, just looking at their stats, I think Brandon Jennings is a superior player by quite a bit, actually. Um, he's not quite as dynamic offensively in terms of getting to the basket, um, but he's quite a bit better passer, and he's a much better shooter. So if they were to implement the triangle and if they are going to stick with that and they run it through Mello, and then I think you have Chris Stapps and Jennings might be two guys who could play off of Carmelo because I think they have the ability to knock down some shots. But honestly, things are kind of a hot mess in New York, and 
I didn't like him very much going into the season, uh, and seeing him play, there was nothing about that that changed my opinion. Yeah, and I, just to add to that, there were moments being at the game where off a defensive rebound when Rose was in, he put Ish Smith on skates. Like, he had the Palace crowd ooing and eyeing because he, on a broken play, Derrick Rose still has the athleticism to do just crazy stuff. Um, but when it was like a set and he actually had to run it through the system, you could tell he was just, it, it was like seeing a like wild horse have restrictions on him. <laughs> like he wanted to use his athleticism, but instead he had to like feed the high elbow, feed the high post, and like actually try and run a play. And it, it just—it was very weird to see. It was very weird to see. I, I, I totally agree. Jennings, I think, is the better point guard for what they're trying to do. But like Rose still has it a little bit, and it, it was—it was very painful to see in person. Yeah, the problem is he's—he's just not able to finish the way he was before. Mm-hmm. I mean, last year his shooting numbers were way down. This year, I know stats don't always translate well on a podcast, but true shooting, which takes into account free throws and three-point shots. 46.8%, which is absolutely abysmal. By well, contrast, Jennings is 54.5%. Because so. everyone figured out, Rose, you just play off. Like, you yeah, just sag true. down, and you just protect the drive and let him shoot. And, you know, I mean, he'll, he'll hoist it all day because he uh, he's a very confident player and, you know, thinks he can make it. But, yeah, that's that's obviously how guys are trying to play him. And I'm, I'm wondering this season – if the Knicks see enough out of Derrick Rose, because I still think there are enough moments that he can put together kind of a, a head-scratching final product. And I, I'm wondering if the Knicks are going to be in a position at the end of the season where they really have to decide if Rose is someone they re-sign or you know, make the point guard, at least for the short-term future. Uh, and everything I hear coming out of you know, the New York Knicks is that they are interested in Rose making a play to be the point guard for the next few seasons. That to me is fascinating. That, that so is I, ridiculous. <laughs> that is, yeah, that I, is ridiculous. <laughs> I, I would, I'd love if he could get back to, it was so much fun to watch Derek Rose a few seasons ago before the injuries and all the issues he had at the end of his time in Chicago. But Ben, I think, I think you're right. Jennings right now is a better player for what they want to do, for what Hornacek wants to do. But I'm sure there's a little bit of pressure to give Rose this, this showcase to see if he still has it. And right now, the, the jury is definitely out. And that jury could, could reward him uh, with quite a bit of money in the offseason. So the pressure's definitely on him this year. Uh, I want to move on to the Nets game. So that was the next night. Pistons had to go on the road and play in Brooklyn. And they lose 109-101, like I'd mentioned before we talked about that Knicks game. I, I've tried to make excuses, and I found myself making excuses for this game. Ben, how much of the scheduling this early in the season played into how poorly the Pistons looked in the first half? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the same thing. And, you know, the Pistons the last several seasons have been among the NBA's leaders in terms of back-to-back games, which is, it's worked okay because the Pistons have been young the last two years. Um, but for whatever reason, when they lost to the Nets, my initial thought was, uh, it was, you know, back-to-back game on the road, no big deal. So I went and looked at the stats from last season, and I was surprised that the Pistons actually were pretty darn good in back-to-backs last year. I think, again, a lot of that's due to youth. They're actually 12-8 and in back-to-backs. I didn't take the time to look at back-to-backs on the road. Um, but that kind of led me to be a little bit 
you know, skeptical of the idea that it was just back-to-backs that were the problem. To me, what jumps out is, again, in a loss, the Pistons just got blown up by a single player, and this time it was Brooke Lopez, of all people, shooting, I think, making four three-pointers, which is as many as he had made in his entire career up to that game. So, you know, yes, it was a back-to-back. Yes, it was two games on the road. Um, But I think that's really only an excuse. You can't allow Brooke Lopez to go that ham on you and expect to win. (laughs) Um, And, you know, Dre, it, it it kind of highlights a problem that Dre has which is guarding big men who can shoot and guarding big men who like to play outside of 15 feet from the basket. He's, he's pretty good in the pick and roll, especially against guards, believe it or not. But he seems to struggle against big men who can stretch the floor. And, you know, he just got completely outplayed uh, by Brooke Lopez on that side of the ball. And, and just to jump in, you know who does that really well against Drummond is Kevin Love. Whenever we play the Cavs, yes. Kevin Love exposes that every time. And I'm like... If I was scouting against the Pistons, I would just watch. I would watch Pistons Cavs games and see what Kevin Love does. That is how I would play Drummond because, like, and that's that's kind of how Lopez played him in uh, Brooklyn. Like, you stay outside, you hit those mid range jumpers that he's going to give you because he doesn't trust himself to close out. That that's all you got to do. It, it's crazy to me that more people don't play against Drummond like that. Even though I'm a Pistons fan, I feel weird saying that, but that that is the that is the scouting report I would do. Sure, and I think it has trickle-down effects. I mean, the Pistons got beat up on the boards pretty bad, and that's a lot to do with the fact that Dre only played 25 minutes. I think Luer and, and Baines were respectable as kind of fill-ins, but you know they lost by seven on the boards, 45 to 38, and when Dre only plays 25 minutes, that leaves you with a massive hole in the middle when the best rebounder in the entire planet is not out there. And unfortunately, they just they couldn't play him because he was getting just completely lit up by Brooke Lopez. Yeah, that is, that is like the most depressing sentence to hear this early in the season. Get lit up by Brooke Lopez. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, to, to allow, not even to allow him, to see Brooke Lopez go four of eight from his three point attempts in a game. I, I was so, I, I didn't know, was this something he worked on in the off season? I was so confused seeing him take these shots and clearly just watching him attempt three pointers. This is new to him because his body, you can tell is just not quite <laughs> ready to have the release that he's going to need as a big man. But Ben, you're right. This is a problem for Andre Drummond, and unfortunately it's the way the league is going, is Dre is going to have to deal with one of two type of big men, the players who can stretch a little bit more, or the guys... I mean, there's just so few guys that have a true post game anymore that you're looking at guys who are really just rim protectors, where Dre probably doesn't have much to do defensively on a, you know, on a big man, or he's having to play outside the paint, which... I mean, if you saw it in the Nets game, we were out-rebounded 45-38 to 38 in that game by the Nets, and that should not be happening where the Pistons are being out-rebounded by the Nets. And I think part of it is the way they played Brooke Lopez, and that's credit to the Nets. I think it was a, a, a good game plan going in for them with the way they played against the Pistons' big men because that definitely put the pressure on guys like Ish Smith and KCP, and they just kind of, sh- in the first half, sh- shot us out of contention. Uh, I was really upset with the way the backcourt played as well. Any other big takeaways that you had, Jamie, from that game? To be honest, when I was looking at the schedule and I saw that we were going to Brooklyn, 
uh, for our first back-to-back of the young season after a few nice, cushy home games against the Bucks, Magic, and uh, Knicks. I was expecting a loss against the Nets. And to me, this is the... Uh, I talked about it on Twitter, the J.R. Smith corollary. Like, young team traveling to New York on a back-to-back after winning some games at home, feeling good about themselves, probably, you know, got in New York, had 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 a nice night. They they're, they got a little bit of a big head. I, I kind of saw this loss coming. So I was I was upset by it, but um, I, I wasn't that surprised. And, and for some reason, like last year, the Nets kind of had our number, like weirdly. Like, they, we always played really weirdly against the Nets, so I, I wasn't that surprised. The 76ers as well the last two years yeah, are another another team we just play poorly against. It, the Sixers make sense because they're, like, sneaky, athletic, and, like, I, I think we in the past played really poorly against very uber-athletic teams. But I, I just think, like, to me, whenever you got a young team that's in the Midwest, like, this is very... I have no analytics or no basis to back this up other than just my insane psychotic reasoning. Um, when you have a young team from the Midwest going out to either LA or New York for a road game, I just, I always expect the hangover game, I call it. Like, it's, it's just, they're gonna hit up clubs, they're gonna hit up restaurants that they don't have access to when they go, when they have home games in Detroit or have road games in Indianapolis. Like, when you're in LA or New York, the guys live there in the offseason, they're, they're gonna hit up some spots. So I, I totally kind of saw the rough game coming. Yeah, I, that's definitely something that with the NBA road schedule to take into account are those nights when they're in Atlanta, Chicago, New York, LA, uh, and especially some of those spots those guys live in the off season. You're right. They're, they're going to want to go out. Like uh, that's the, the Jalen Rose champagne and campaign. Theory. Exactly. And, and that's where they have the, their like social circles in the off season. So like, I, I mean, I think about it, like if I was a, successful basketball player and I like had to live in Salt Lake City for most of my adult (laughs) life and then I got to play a game in LA where I like spent most of my summer I absolutely would probably hit up people I hang out with in the summer and probably like not do my regular routine because I am in a place where I feel a little bit more comfortable and and so I, I try to put my mindset in that and and so i'm not surprised when they drop a game against the nets or the lakers here and there it's it's the hangover effect game ben i wanted to go back to andre is this something with the way he played against brooke lopez in the nets is it something you worry about going forward or is this just kind of an anomaly and you're not too worried about it well a little bit of both um the part of me that's worried about it is the fact that uh, andre Drummond's a very important part of the pistons future and they're very committed to him and this has been something he has struggled to do for several seasons now. So I think he has to he has to develop a skill set about closing out and not losing track of his man if it's a stretch five on the floor and he's matched up against that person. I think, Jamie, your point about Cleveland utilizing Kevin Love in a way that makes it difficult for Andre is right on. And obviously the road to the finals goes through Cleveland. So it's something Dre obviously has to address. The part of me that isn't as worried about it, though, is I do think we have um, the personnel to match up if Dre continues to struggle. Um, I think John Luer gives us a stretch five of our own, 
uh, because he can stretch the floor and shoot the ball per- pretty well on offense. But I think he's also capable of um, matching up against a guy like Kevin Love. I think he's going to struggle a little bit against Brooke Lopez, though, because Brooke can take him inside. Um, but I think your point, Jordan, too, as well, is there, there's not a lot of players who are going to do both of those things. Either you're going to have a post-up big man, and there aren't a ton of those left, or you're going to have a guy who's stretching the floor in some way. Um, and I think Andre gives you the good defense against the more traditional big, and a guy like Lure, and even Baines to some degree, allows you to match up if, if Dre struggles a little bit the next year or two to develop that skill. And the big men who can do a bit of both are playing more at the five than the four. You're seeing teams like the Kings and Timberwolves make the decision with their younger big men, Towns and Cousins, uh, to play a shot-blocking rim protector next to them, Gorgie Dang and um, what's it, uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, instead of playing them at the five. So for Drummond and, and what he has to do, you're right, there's just fewer and fewer of those centers that are playing at the five spot that he has to worry about. So hopefully it's not too much of a concern going forward. Uh, and if we're going to lose games because Brooke Lopez is hitting threes, that's fine. Yeah, that's, I, I don't, yeah, fine. I think exactly. I think I'm fine with that because I just can't imagine that happens. That, that's not well going to happen 82 times a year. <laughs> like that, that's going to happen once in a blue moon. Right. And it only matters against like the super teams, like, against Cleveland, for example. I mean, they're just they're just a freak of nature sort of lineup. You've got Kyrie Irving, who's basically impossible to stay in front of. You've got LeBron, who can play all five positions. And you've got Kevin Love, who can play the five and stand in the corner and shoot threes. So, yeah, you're not going to play that team 82 times a season. But at the same time, you have to be ready to go against them in a seven-game series. So, you know, there's you're still going to get to the playoffs if Andre can't guard Brook Lopez on the perimeter. But... If you want to get to the finals at some point in the next few years, which is where his window's at, he's going to have to develop there um, because it's a it's a pretty glaring weakness. I would say our depth is better suited against Cleveland in a seven-game series, too, right now because you saw in Game 4 last year that super small lineup we ran of uh, Reggie, KCP, Tobias, Stanley, and Marcus, I think it was like, it, it was an Uber plus, I don't have the number in front of me right now, but it was a very efficient lineup. And it was our like version of the small ball lineup that Golden State ran. And I think with Lure now, you have, like we can sub Lure in, or we can even take Stanley out and put Lure in and have a little more height. Like our small ball lineup combinations we can put out there against uh Cleveland right now is is very much in our favor. Ben, anything you want to say off that? I totally agree. I mean, that's one of the things I loved about the Lure signing from day one. That's one of the very first things I thought of was the ability to match up against stretch fives and then also to throw one out on the court as well to complicate things for everybody else. I think, you know, Stanley is a little bit of a question mark right now, but I like the idea of subbing out uh, Stanley for Lure in that uh, five-man lineup because you – you retain a really tough, hard-nosed front court that can rebound. Yeah. But you don't compromise any quickness or any defense or any offense. You you have three guys who can shoot out there still in the front court. And if they want, I really like that lineup. And if they want to play Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love, and if they want to go tall, like we got the height to do it. I, I we have like one of the tallest benches in in the Eastern Conference right now. It's ridiculous. So I, I really like the flexibility stance built over the offseason. 
and we saw that come into play perfect transition really uh against the nuggets that's what i do with i'm all about jokic <laughs> that was yeah that was too, very well done very <laughs> professional almost uh jokic and nurkic we, we a a front court a young and upcoming front court that uh I know gets a lot of, you know, NBA insiders excited about the Nuggets future and it was a good test for the Pistons because that's a, a big team who can shoot, stretch the floor. Uh, Jokic's game, I think, is difficult for the Pistons, uh, at least for Morris and Harris to kind of deal with. So I was nervous about that game, especially coming off the Nets game. And it was just all around a good showing for the Pistons. 103-86, I think one of our best defensive efforts so far this season, holding another team under 90 points uh to this point in the young NBA season is nice to see. Uh, I would like to see more of that effort night in and night out, but I know it's asking for a lot. Uh, ben, I'll start with you. What uh, takeaways did you have from that Nuggets game? For the well, Pistons? Stanley Johnson showed up, so that's a plus. Uh, <laughs> I think he, he made Big his first plus. shot of the season or something like that, so yeah. good to see him coming out of hibernation. You touched on the defense. I think the Pistons' versatility allowed them to frustrate some of those young players that you just mentioned and whose names I always struggle to pronounce. Um, John Luer was really good, 15 points on 6 for 10 and 1 from 2 from deep. Um, I really like him. I think we're really going to like him the more he plays, uh, and I think he's going to carve out even more of a role because I think what he does on the floor uh, is just so, so valuable. Um, being able to shoot 1 for 2 from deep as a 4 or 5 is a, is a really deadly weapon. And really, it was the only off game for Tobias. So that was the only thing that was bad in an otherwise just very convincing win. Um, I think the Nuggets kind of closed a little bit toward the end of the fourth quarter. But still, just a completely dominant performance, really, from wire to wire. And I think it sort of puts to rest, at least temporarily, that question we talked about last week, which is, can the Pistons play up when they play down teams, or are they going to play down to their competition? And I think that this was a very convincing statement that they do have the capacity to put away a bad team, uh, and, and hopefully we get more of that uh, as this young team matures and develops. And, and just to jump in on that, I think I think to take a different angle, I think Vegas didn't even know what to take of this game because – the spread was like I think Pistons were favored by four and a half uh, at home, uh, and the Nuggets had played everyone close, and I, like I didn't want to touch the game at all. Like I wasn't really sure after the Nets lost what kind of Pistons team at home we were gonna get, and so to win by what was it like eighteen or whatever we ended up winning by, like I it, I couldn't have seen that coming. So it was it was an awesome win. You're right that the Nuggets had played everyone pretty well. I think Mike Malone in the offseason figured out what lineup and what rotation he wanted to use, and clearly early in the Pistons game that was thrown completely out of whack, and he was playing guys that were getting their first minutes of the entire season, uh, I think just to kind of give the team some different looks because the it just wasn't working that night for the Nuggets. Yeah. So we may have caught them on an off night, and that's part of the reason we beat them as, you know, as handedly as we did. But at the same time, we looked really good. I think this was an all-around solid effort for the team. Ben, I had a question for you. I know we've talked a bit about certain players that could be trade targets. We did this a bit a bit more last season uh, around the deadline. But I saw Gary Harris check into that game, and I thought Gary Harris was good. Uh, I guess he's not playing at all for the Nuggets, which is kind of surprising. 
But my question with Gary Harris is that type of shooting guard, the the guy who, you know, is a, a solid three-point shooter, doesn't seem like he's found a role in in Denver, so maybe he's on the way out. That type of KCP continues to struggle this season. Uh, we've, we've seen some good efforts from him, but if he continues to struggle this season, would you like to see the Pistons go for that type of shooting guard, a guy who is offensively more gifted uh, than KCP? Yes, I would. I mean, I would like to see some more offense from the shooting guard position, especially if Reggie, if the Reggie-Dre pick-and-roll scheme is the future for the next three or four years, and all signs point to that being the case. I definitely think we need shooting at the two and the three. I don't know if it means that you have to have that in the starting lineup at both positions, but I I would like to see one of KCP or Marcus Morris um, either move on from one of them or maybe move them to the bench. And uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about KCP's contract situation, and Jacob had a really nice piece on that this week. Um, It's going to be difficult for the Pistons to replace someone at shooting guard or to replace KCP at shooting guard because of the cap situation. So that's where things get really tricky. Um, I I would love to see Marcus in a sort of super sub role because I think his offensive game, he can do a lot more on his own than a lot of our other players can. And I think that lends itself well to to leading the second unit and maybe being a a weapon to throw in, in some of those small ball lineups that we talked about just a minute ago. Um, I don't know if I'm sold on Gary Harris, though. Um, I mean, I, I'm admittedly a little biased because I'm a Wolverines fan, but, you know, I don't know if he's so undersized for a shooting guard. Um, I mean, you know, yeah. six, six, four, hundred, I forget how many, what his measurements are there, but he's, you know, com- contrast that with KCP. KCP is athletically exactly what you would want in, in a shooting guard. He just hasn't figured out how to. Um, shoot the ball consistently. So, I mean, Gary's year last year, I think he showed a lot of promise and a lot of development over his rookie year. It's hard for me to believe this is his third season already. Um, Time is flying. But, yeah, I mean, he shot 35% from deep last year. Um, And, you know, if he can improve that just a little bit more, then, yeah, I mean, I think he he could be the type of player you'd want to bring in um, to supplement Reggie. Yeah, and I think it was his last 15 games of last season. He kind of figured it out. And part of it was there were some injuries for the Nuggets, and they were playing some of their, their younger players. And he was playing a lot with Wilson Chandler and what's that small wing guy they have? Uh, Will Barton. He was playing a lot with Will Barton and Wilson Chandler and was finding open shots. And I think that's what improved that, that three-point percentage last season. Um, you're right, being, being in his third year, now that the team has drafted Jamal Murray and ha- still has Will Barton, I'm wondering if he's you know, just kind of out of the rotation. Let's get into KCP's contract a bit. Jamie, I'll I'll start with you. With the way he's played this season, if this is as good as it gets, looking at the stat line, this is the type of player KCP is and what we're going to get um, from him. Are you ready to give him a close-to-max deal? Uh, Yes. Like, gun in my head, yes. Quick answer. I think because... If you look around, the market for shooting guards, uh, especially, like, first team, second team, all defense shooting guards, is is really small. Like, I, I, I see what you guys are saying about Gary Harris, and the potential is definitely there, but I, I'd be hard-pressed to find someone who would actually take the Pistons a step forward rather than two steps back with the hopes of three steps forward, if that makes sense. Um, I, I, I just think, uh, 
the KCB is a good fit. Uh, he knows the system. Um, you know, Gores has already talked about wanting to keep him, so I think he's totally fine with going into luxury tax territory to keep him. I, I, I just see no reason why. And it totally makes sense why they didn't reach an extension. Rich Paul, his agent, is the guy who is going to take him into free agency to get him the most money. He's doing the same thing with Ben, uh, Ben whatever, McLemore in Sacramento. Um, so I'm not surprised at all. I, I think we're totally going to reach an extension with KCP. I think you have to. You have to. Yeah, Rich Paul is definitely part of this equation as well because that's the same Rich Paul who, of course, had the Cavaliers overpaying for Tristan Thompson so they can enjoy his 15 minutes a game that he gives them in really just the finals. Rich Paul but is fantastic at his job. I, I need Rich he's Paul. He's very good at his job. I need yes. Rich Paul to like help me get a, a job uh, in the future because he does a great <laughs> job of getting people a ton of money. That, that is what he does. So, Ben, I'll ask you, if the number is $18 million a year uh, for five years, are you happy with that for KCP? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not happy about it, but <laughs> I don't know. The point that Jacob makes in his article is I think it, it, it puts it in the context of reality, which in a vacuum, heck no, I don't want to play a guy who can't shoot 35% consistently from deep, you know, five years and $100 million or whatever that would total out to be I don't want that to happen in a vacuum the problem is that the Pistons are going to be capped out which dramatically limits your ability to do anything in free agency and the Pistons will not be able to replace KCP with the mid-level exception you're just not going to get a guy who's as good defensively or competent offensively so the Pistons are sort of over a barrel Um, I think if KCP is a finished product, which is how you sort of frame the question. I -hmm. think you extend KCP or you you come to terms with him in some way if it's not an extension, however it comes to be. And I think you look for a trade that brings you more of what you're looking for because I, I just don't think he's good enough offensively to get the Pistons to sort of title window territory. I, I think they need they need a significant upgrade at the two and or the three, especially in terms of consistent shooting. Um, to be able to get to the sort of Dre contender, which is what we talk about in the comments all the time. I, I just think they need better offensive production. So, no, I wouldn't be happy about it, but the alternatives I would be much less happy about. So it's kind of a, I think you just take your medicine on this and and hope that a good trade presents itself that allows you to upgrade at the two or the three, depending on you know how things fall. Who, I, just out of curiosity, who would be the two? Like, perfect world, who's the two? That takes us to contender. Legit, like, I'm, I'm just very curious. So I don't know if I have a specific guy. I don't think we can get one with a mid-level exception, so I haven't spent a ton of time looking at that. I think that the archetype, though, is kind of a J.J. Redick in his prime kind of guy. I think that's a realistic sort of target because he's not a max player. He's not a near-max player, uh, but he's very good offensively. Um, I personally think that... Van Gundy is a good enough defensive coach that you're going to get average to better than average defense with this core group. Yeah. He's already proved that he can do that. And really, other than KCP, no one is a particularly great defender. I think Marcus is, is a really tough defender. No, that's... But really, it's it's scheme. He gets better than average defense out of guys 
who are not individually very good defenders. So I, I wouldn't mind going for a J.J. Redick type who's an offensively minded guy and work on scheming around weaknesses on the defensive side. I think I think KCB covers up a lot of Dre's um, and he, I will say Drummond's been a lot better this year about his defensive rotations and rim protection, but he's covered up for him a lot the past two years um, in terms of him like getting in front of guys and, and limiting guys driving to the basket. Reggie, too, like our backcourt is is above average at defense. They're not great. I, I totally agree. They're not they're not spectacular, but they're above average. I, I just I struggle that like. It's so weird. The market for twos, like shooting guards out there, is so shallow. Like, whenever I think of, like, okay, what if we trade KCB, I just struggle with, like, who could you actually plug in that would take us a step forward and not be, like, totally ridiculous and give up the farm to get? It's it's really tough. It's a tough question. That, what you're saying is the appropriate context for the question. You can't. And when I say you, I mean me. I can't just sit here and critique KCP in a vacuum, right? I yeah. Mean, the reality of the the market is what it is. There's a very small number of players who are realistically available, um, and KCP is one of them. And the CBA happens to be structured in such a way as to make it possible for the Pistons to retain him when otherwise they wouldn't be able to replace him given the resources that they have at their disposal. So, I mean, yeah, I think I think you resign KCP. And if he doesn't develop a consistent jump shot, you continue to be, you know, looking to improve the team. You're always looking to do that via trades. Um, I just, there's something about it, like $100 million in five years for KCP. Just, I don't know. I'm just not, I'm not loving that. I just don't see a better option. I totally agree. I mean, perfect world if there was a shooting guard that the Pistons could have who I think would take them to the next level, Devin Booker, hands down. Like, yeah, I would sense. lose my mind to have Devin Booker on the Pistons. We would we would all be going to his jersey retirement in 20 years, <laughs> like looking back on this podcast like, "Oh my god, remember when we thought it was a great idea? Yeah, it was it was that great of an idea." Uh, he he is the perfect person, but the problem is there's only, you know, Phoenix is going to lock him up. They're not, they're not going to answer the call unless you're giving the farm away because they know what they have in him. He's he's a next level shooting guard. Yeah, and it, and we had a chance. That, that it was it brings <laughs> me back to the draft then. So that's that's kind well, of that's... A, a depressing point to think about. Was we had the chance, but it, it would cost us Stanley Johnson. Yeah, so I, I think we have to. Yeah, but you would do that trade in a second. In a second, wouldn't even think about it. Yeah. I would. But I think that's the nice thing is, like, you can always draft shooting guards and guys who can shoot threes. Like, that is where all the young players are kind of progressing towards. Like, that's why I that's think true. Bauer and crew is in a very good position with KCP because you can sign him, take a risk, and just keep drafting guys who are going to shoot and eventually hope that you hit. If, if KCP doesn't pan out... Hopefully you draft a guy who just can sub in for him. I don't think you need to give up um, the farm for KCP right now. Well, and I, I think that's a good point, too, because we haven't seen Reggie Bullock yet. And I think, you know, Reggie Bullock is not the savior, but... He showed flashes last year. He showed flashes. Right, no, but I, I think, yeah, I think his shooting... When, when KCP is not shooting well, he gives you another option without having to sell the farm, as you're saying. Yeah. I, I think it... 
once he's healthy and once he's back, that'll help us know a little bit more about the team as a whole. So, Jordan, about those names. Yeah, (laughs) I've I've got them, and they're coming. So this is how I kind of wanted to present it. I'm sure you could guess a couple of the names that are on here. Uh, One one has already been mentioned, like, multiple times. Uh, (laughs) But with KCP, part of the issue, and I I know this is touched on in Jacob's article, which on DetroitBadBoys.com is something that everyone should read, uh, the recent article about why the Pistons... Hype plug. Go read the site right now. Very hype plug. Yes, yes. Go... Go read it right now. Uh, it, it's, it gives you a good idea about the reality of signing KCP. But I think if the Pistons front office gets the feeling that it's not going to be easy to re-sign him, and they get closer to the deadline, and he is continuing to play like he is playing currently this season. I know it's only six games, so it's a very small sample size. But closer to 40 games into the season, if we're getting the same production... I can see the Pistons looking at KCP, and his cap number is only $3.5 million for this season. So that's not enough to bring in the type of player, I think, that makes the team better at that spot. So I think you have to add a contract onto that. And I think it's the most tradable man in the world, and that is Aaron Baines. I know we've talked about this before, wow. Ben, about adding that contract on. So now you get closer to that $10 million number. Connect the KCP plus Aaron Baines, at least in terms of salary numbers, gets you into a market of players that I think will at least be realistically available. So, are you ready for those names? I can't wait, dude. I'm okay. in my seat right now. All right, so let's start with the Nuggets. So, we could possibly pull off, and this would bring a few hometown guys back off my seat. Back off, I, I'm now <laughs> at the back of my seat. We're gonna the edge is gone. We're gonna, I'm, I'm now sitting back. I didn't want to go from 100 to 200. We gotta, we gotta settle it back in. <laughs> Wilson Chandler and Gary Harris for KCP and Aaron Baines. Hard ben? pass. Hard, hard pass. Hard pass for Jamie, Ben. Hard pass. Um, don't do it, Ben. So I would have to think about it. No, that's one that I would have to think about. The the, the problem I have is that I don't know how much utility Wilson Chandler has. So I, he's a guy you know who's what? been extremely divisive at DVB for a number I, of years now. So I would accept Wilson Chandler purely for his tattoo game. <laughs> it's fantastic tattoos. His tattoo game is like, solid. It's very him true. and Marcus together, we would have a very intimidating group of sleeve tattoos, which I, I think <laughs> there's something to be said for that. The thing is, I think Baines is the best player in that trade. And I think he's worth more than those two yes. guys. And I also think that Gary Harris might be available for something like the mid-level exception on a one- or two-year deal because if he spends the rest of the season rotting away on the bench, his market's not going to be huge. You know what I'm saying? So, I agree with Ben a thousand percent. I think I pass on that one, but not quite as emphatically as, as our friend Jamie. I'm, way- I'm just I'm decisive, that's all. The way this is, the way this is going so far is Jamie is taking the the Jeff Bauer role. This is how I think of Jeff Bauer and SVG. Is I, I, see... I saw, can I real quick aside? I saw Jeff Bauer in the elevator in an elevator at the Palace like, on Tuesday against the Knicks, and I had like a very serious fanboy moment. My wife was very freaked out because I like got very like tight, and I was like, oh my god, it's Jeff Bauer. Like, and she was like, who, who, this is an old, like, big guy with glasses. Why are, why are you fanboying out? But dude looks serious. Like, yeah. we were winning by 20, and he looked like we were winning, like, losing by three. Like, he, he does not look comfortable during games at all. So, and that's, Jeff, that's, Jeff, if you're listening, I saw you in the elevator. <laughs> shout out to you. But, uh, fan of the pod. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was, it was, oh, fanboy moment. <laughs> that's funny. I, I like that. I like if that's the energy he's bringing. And definitely from the, like, few press conferences he's had that I've seen, that is kind of the feeling I get from him. Uh, but I can also see him just emphatically telling SVG he can't have all the former players that used to play for him. <laughs> I, I like to imagine that they go to, like, Roos Chris and Troy, and yes. SVG is like, I need Jameer Nelson. And Jeff <laughs> is like, no, we Jameer Nelson is, is like, 45. We, we can't have Jameer Nelson. He's on the Nuggets doing God knows what. Please, no Jameer Nelson. Okay, so let's let's talk about a few former uh, a few players who formerly have played for SVG. Then, KCP and Aaron Baines for Courtney Lee in a pick. I like. Ooh, all right. You got let's my say, attention. Like Courtney you, Lee and got the, my attention. Courtney Lee in the like twenty nineteen second. I don't. I don't think it would be a big a big pick, but I can see them adding a pick onto that. Who? Let me let me do. There's this search engine online where I can find New York Knicks picks. Who's the Knicks have? I like that a lot. I I would listen. Ben, what do you think about that? Um, we're talking about the same Courtney Lee, right? Yeah, <laughs> but like, <laughs> fair, fair. You just, I, I am being a little hypocritical, but it's it's intriguing, is it not? I don't know. Maybe five years ago. Damn, he's thirty-one what? though. I mean, what's yeah. his? What's his three point percentage though? It's gotta be it's gotta be over. No, it's ACPs. better. Oh, it's better. He's in the upper thirties to low forties for sure. Okay, or- so interesting though. Knicks have a twenty seventeen second round from Chicago. They have a twenty seventeen second round from Houston, and they have a twenty seventeen second round. Or no, they're sending a twenty. Sorry, so they have like three twenty seventeen second rounds. And the Pistons do not have a twenty seventeen second round pick. Interesting. So let's say it's the 2017 Chicago second round pick and Courtney Lee, uh, and that's KCP and Baines out the door. So Ben, it sounds like it's a no for you. Well, if the if the Pistons are looking to add one piece to maybe contend for the Eastern Conference Finals or the Finals, maybe that move gets you there. But Courtney Lee is 31. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, then I think I already know the answer to my next question, which is KCP and Aaron Baines for JJ Redick and Brandon Bass. Ooh, yeah, that's a hard no. Now, KCP has never played for Doc Rivers, so I'm not sure if this would even be considered. <laughs> but let's say it is. Is that is that a hard pass again, Ben? I'm looking up JJ's age real quick because I can't remember it. He's say, like 33. Yeah, I want to say it was closer. Yeah, like 30. 30 yeah, he's 34. older than Courtney Lee. You're right. Um. Yeah. But you know what? Doesn't age jump shots. Age well. That's what everyone says. Jump shots age well. I unfortunately have to pass <laughs> after saying J.J. Redick is the archetype. <laughs> <laughs> See, Ben, we're, we're both being hypocritical this pod. I love it. We got to go back on ourselves. But we're talking about a current J.J. Redick, so I think it's, I think it's a, fair, a fair point no. to make about him being the, the archetype. Um, totally fair. Yeah. So I, I, I would hard pass on that as well. Mostly because Brandon Bass. Mostly because Brandon Bass. Oh, see, that was the sweetener for me. Because he's played for Bauer mm. and for SVG. And I can see them mm. personally liking Brandon Bass. I, you, mm, I, I'd rather have Tolliver back. Call me, call, call me crazy. That's I, fair. I just don't see what Brandon Bass does for us. 
Okay, I've got three more names here. Uh, I'll throw out Alec Burks first. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of him. Better, Better ball handler. Yeah. Slightly better shooter. I, I would say he's in a tough situation in Utah, too. He would probably fare well from a change of scenery. I can he's see... Ra- yeah, just just a couple things on this one. I can see the Jazz wanting to add another defensive stopper wing player. Uh, they have Gordon Hayward and Rodney Hood who are already fighting over those wing minutes. I think KCP is a better complementary player than Alec I Burks. Agree. I uh, concur. And Alec Burks... Defensively, he's he's a little like Reggie Jackson in that he will frustrate you because he's not a better defender because he has the body of someone who should be a better defender, uh, but he's not terrible. So there's that. And his his cap number next three years it's at about ten million. So yeah, that's I'm, I'm, very friendly. I'm a fan of that one. I'm like if that deal happened, I, I'd be I'd be very cool with it. Yeah, I so, I, I like that one. I like that one. Okay, that's a solid one. So that's nice that's one, that's nice. one I'll bring. Yeah, that's one I'll bring up to Jacob uh, on the next podcast to see if I can if I can get him off of the we're signing KCP no matter what. Well, you tell him Jamie and Ben are fans of that one. So I, I, will. Get, I will. Just do the leverage, leverage that one a little bit. I will. Uh, let's move on to Danny Green. Danny Green. Do we have to? We... <laughs> we sure do. So since he's uh, re-signed with the Spurs, last year was, I think, bad. I can just say it was a bad year for Danny Green. Yeah. But I think he has a track record previous to that that shows that he might be better than what we saw last season. Uh, too small of a sample size this year to really get an idea. But, uh, yeah, Danny Green, that cap number, again, right around $10 million, and Baines would be going back to San Antonio. <laughs> Oh, that's a tough one. I, I Ben, you go first on this one. Yeah, I'm struggling. I mean, so I, I'm a stats guy. People know that I enjoy looking through that lens. Um, Danny is a guy who's like, if you look at something like wins produced or win shares per 48 minutes, he's a guy whose numbers fare pretty well. Like the numbers suggest he's a productive player. He's quite a bit better than average, especially when you look at wins produced for 48 minutes. And typically those are the guys I love. But to me, like when I watch him play, I don't see that impact on the court. So I'm going to pull some more hypocrisy and say, I kind of struggle with the eye test with him. And I wonder, I just can't help but wonder if he is a product, if his production is being a byproduct of being the fourth guy. I mean, he, all he has to do is take open shots, right? I mean, or at least in his best years, all he has had to do is take open shots that are the result of Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, and then more recently Kawhi Leonard. So, ugh, I don't know. I don't know. This is a hard one for me. Yes, this is what I wanted. I didn't want it to be easy. <laughs> I was afraid that it was just going to be like four seconds and we were going to get through all the names and well, you would like, I'll say no to them. Anybody who shoots better than 40% <laughs> from three-point range is worth thinking about, especially when they've done it in volume. And that's really what Danny Green has done. The question for me is, okay, so looking at, like, 
2012, 2013, 2014. He's taking like four to six three-point shots per game. He's hitting 41 to 43% of those shots. That's fantastic. My question would be, is the Pistons' offense construction in such a way as to get him those four, five, six open attempts per game that he would get in San Antonio? And yeah, I, I mean, KCP chucks like nobody's business, so maybe there are, and maybe I'm overthinking that point. But that that's the source of hesitation for me. But, I don't know how many open looks he's going to get in the Pistons' offense. I, I, I totally agree. And, and now, like, in my head, I'm, I'm – playing all the sets Danny Green could possibly get. And I just I just don't see it the same way. Like KCP does a good job of running two man games where he's initiating pick and rolls um, in some sets or he's like the third option, fourth option, uh, sitting in the corner in some some sets. Like I think one thing we sleep on a lot with KCP is his ability to make something out of nothing when there's a broken play and I, I just, I don't know, man. I struggle with Danny Green. Like, I wouldn't be mad at it, but I don't see him. Oh man, that's a tough. That's a tough one. Well, the other thing I think you you worry a little bit about is whether he's good in transition because he is. You know, he's only twenty eight. He does not, not old, but he's not but known for that. So KCP is one of like the fastest dudes I've seen on a basketball court, bar none. And Danny Green is not. Yeah. Danny Green is not as fast. So yeah, that's that's a good point. Oh, that's a tough name though. That's a very tough name. I'd have to sleep on that for like weeks. And that's that's one that I can see Buford and Bauer. That's that's multiple phone calls. That that's yeah, that's a lot of phone calls, dinners, a lot of email chains. That's that's a tough one. Damn. Mm-hmm. You just would like ruin my whole week of work with that one. Yeah, I'm ready for the long form article from one of you that follows it's... wanting one of these trades to happen. That's that's I, what I wanted to come. I'm not this. a I'm not a stats guy, so I can't I can't do that one. I I'd be writing about how like Danny Green has no tattoos, and that's why we should not have, like <laughs> trade for him. Right, that's, it's just just too clean about. cut. He was He's a Roy Williams guy. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't do money sign dances like KCP. We should not trade for him. Fair. All right. Let's move on. I've got one more. And this player has not yet played this season. Okay. Jody uh, Meeks? Don't say Ben Simmons. <laughs> I thought about throwing in kind of an unfair Jody Meeks question, and it just seemed rude. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> Tyreek Evans. Oh. The New Orleans Pelicans hmm. seem to be quite happy with their backcourt situation of Holiday and Heald. They have some depth otherwise in that position. They're definitely looking for a big man. I think Baines could step in and start next to Anthony Davis for the Pelicans. Wow, that would actually be a really good fit. I, I've always yeah. liked I've always liked Tariq, and I think that's, be, you know, I'm, I'm biased because I watched that Beastie Boys documentary, Gunning for the Number One Spot, where they, like, have Tyreek Evans, Brandon yes. Jennings, Kevin Love. So I'm, like, all those guys I am very jaded on um, because of that documentary. <laughs> so, I, I, but it, he is a good fit. Like, I... Uh, he could really use our man. That's a, that's a good one. I would say yes to that one. He could use a good locker room situation, and he's never. Yeah. Had it. He could use a good coach, and that's not a shot at Alvin Gentry, but I'm not sure if he's the right coach for Evans. And he's going to be coming back sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas. You're I selling can, me. I know. You're selling I, me. This is the one I'm most excited about. 
because I can see the Pistons buying low. I can even see because of the front office in New Orleans and the the pass they've had in terms of giving away draft picks. I can see this being similar to the Tobias Harris trade in which we get something on top of Evans. For a steal. We could get him right. for a steal. I think, I think for a song and a dance, we can make it sound like KCP and Baines are so much better than Evans. Uh, in part because they haven't seen Evans play in over a year. or Actually, it's close to a year at this point. Uh, so this is the one would... that gets me excited because I think he's a guy that could step in and be 15-5-5. and five. Uh, a, a great secondary ball handler. That's something we've talked about before, Ben. Yeah. That the Pistons are in desperate need. Yeah, of that was my first thought. Actually, is he gives you, you have two two guards who can handle the ball in the pick and roll. Yeah. I, I just want to say, Jeff Bauer, if you're listening, um, Jordan and Ben would like a finder's fee for this <laughs> trade. Um, you can email them. Find the, find them on the mass set at DVV, uh, DetroitBadBoys.com, and yeah, they'll gladly take your take your money. Yes, we will gladly take your money. Yeah, and that goes for anyone listening, really. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but wow, so, he's yeah. only Tyreek's only making ten mil, and that he's in a contract year right now. Wow. Yeah, this I... is the difference in contracts with this one is almost. I think it's twenty thousand dollars. It's like ten point one seven to ten point two. Huh. So it's it's pretty tight. Uh, yeah. It, it, it in terms of making the contracts work, it works really well. But uh, yeah, so that ends. Uh, Jordan played with the cat with the trade machine for too long. That closes this, you know, chapter. I'm sure there will be more on the podcast. That's a good segment. That that's a really good segment. You should keep that one around. We'll definitely open it up probably closer to the deadline. Uh, and KCP might be involved again. So I, I thought Ben, it was something we had to do because we've talked so often about trades on this podcast. And KCP is someone that just recently I know I forget who we had on. It might have been Sean. Might have been Sean Core talking about KCP is the most tradable asset. And I was kind of thinking that maybe, you know, if it isn't working out, he's not part of that core moving forward. We would look for a player in return. So just another, an, a, a few names to consider. Uh, everyone in the comments, let me know which one you, you like the most and your thoughts overall on the idea of trading KCP. Ben, I wanted to just like throw you some future headlines over the next few weeks and, and, just talk about things that might be happening with the Pistons. But I just want to say from everyone who listens to this podcast, we will definitely be missing you the next few weeks as you prepare for a new, a new member to your family. Yeah. Thank you. I'm Whoa. super excited. Yeah. Ben, dad, dad? <laughs> going to be a dad. Yeah. Ben, I also am going to be a dad. Congratulations. That's awesome. So wow. Congrats. You, yeah. Exclusive for the pod. Breaking, <laughs> breaking, breaking news. news. Yeah, 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 it was not Woj. It was here on the pod. Um, when you when you become a dad, can you write up like a cheat sheet on stuff that I need to do, like how you are able to still watch Pistons games? Yeah, I haven't figured that part out yet. But I will tell you that my the the pre planning <laughs> the pre planning has been um, so I subscribed to Sling TV, which I subscribed to last year for the playoffs it's an internet based tv service for live tv and they Sling, have fox sports well, yeah right sponsors. sponsor the podcast <laughs> sponsor the pod um the thing that's good about it is it's internet based so it runs on mobile devices so my plan is to keep the ipad close and uh catch as much as i can in the middle of the night while uh feeding and changing and all that good stuff are you do you guys sorry this is going into dad talk do you know what you're having 
Yeah, we're having a girl. Yo, congrats. That's yeah. awesome. We're due a week from today. In Jordan, you can cut this out, but yeah, we're due a week from today. So <laughs> I plan on missing the next probably three, maybe four. Jordan, you should keep this. This is the <laughs> listeners need to know. Need to the, know. The listeners, yeah, I, I think they appreciate it, but yeah, I'll, I'll probably. Yeah. <laughs> when are you guys due, Jamie? March. Oh, uh, you've March got twenty second. Check out your local expecting parents organization. Register for a couple classes. They're super helpful. Seriously? Yeah, they are helpful. I'm actually, Loki, you don't need to cut this out. I'm kind of hoping it's early so that the kid has a St. Patrick's Day birthday. Because <laughs> um, then his birthday will just be epic for the rest of his life. <laughs> True. As It only gets better as he gets older. Exactly, exactly. It's like the gift that keeps on giving as he grows older. It's great. <laughs> it's a great idea, yeah. All right, yeah. so well, I have uh, a Pistons question. Jordan, I'm going to preempt your headlines real quick, if you guys don't mind. So this, go ahead. All right, this is an open question for me. I do not have a fully formed, strong opinion on this question. But based on what we've seen so far, based on their careers to date, when Reggie Jackson gets back from injury, who is the better backup point guard for him? Ish Smith or Ben Oudre? Wow, great question. Jordan, you go first. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's tough, Cause, dude. That is all right, because my thought is I was ready to write Bino Udruf off as a sort of Steve Blake 2.0, but he's been really good, hasn't he? I, I, mean, love, I love watching Bino. Yeah, he's been I really love good. Him. He's, he's so he, – he's, his pace is great. He's got that mid-range, like, at-the-elbow shot that, like, Westbrook has. But, like, oh, it's so – it's a quick release. I, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of this game. I I am, too. And that's what makes this tough is I would say from a – He's, like, he's like watching, like, the best person at your pickup at, like, YMCA. Like, he's that dude who, like, played in high school that just, like, tears up the pickup game. That you're, like <laughs> – like it, he, oh, he's good. I really like it. I do too. I think it's, I think I lean Ish Smith just because I want to see him work with some of the guys on that bench. I'd like to see him with Lure and Johnson and going into the season, I was excited about a, a Boban Ish Smith, um, a Boban Ish Smith pick and roll uh, that I have not yet seen. So I, I still think it's Ish, but you're right that Ben Oudra has made it very difficult. Uh, it's not as easy of an answer as it would have been a few weeks ago because he was not even on the team a few weeks ago. Right. So this is definitely a new development. I, yeah. So for me, like it's tough. It's it's what do you want your second unit to be? Because yeah. Ish is, you know, we know what his weaknesses are, but the thing that he's better at than I realized was actually getting into the paint. He's he's really slippery and yeah. he he gets into the paint really really well. So if you want your backup point guard to be doing that, depending on what the rest of your second unit looks like, then I think it's Ish. I think Ish is probably a little better in transition as well. Um, but I think the thing that Bano gives you is he's obviously a better shooter from everywhere on the court, but I, I've been particularly impressed with his pull-up jump shot around the elbows, as you guys have mentioned. And I think maybe a little more savvy in terms of just orchestrating a five-man offense rather than just kind of exclusively dribble penetration and pick and roll. So... I mean, it's not a it's not a question I even expected to be thinking about, but I wanted to bring it up because I think I think Bino's been really good, and I think I think honestly I think Stan's probably thinking about that as well. I mean, he's got to be because um, Udra's been really good. 
Yeah, I think it, it depends on the second unit you run out there. Like if you are put if you're leaving KCP in and you have Stanley and Lure and Bain uh, yeah, I don't know. I, if you wanna run like transition, fast break ish. If you want it to be more of a half court game, um, where someone's orchestrating the offense, Bino's the guy. Um it, which man, it's it's a really nice situation to be in so i it really depends on the identity you want to roll out there i do like that it seems benno is more of a i don't i don't want to say he's more of a team player because that's kind of intangible and like coach speak but i i get the feeling that ish definitely has an understanding of what he has in the game and i can see him pressing sometimes like i can see reggie pressing at times yeah and I think it, it hurts the team sometimes when Ish takes kind of those ISOs or even though he can get in the paint, I think sometimes it's it's ill-advised. Uh, I see open shooters he misses, and uh, even though his assist numbers are great, I think he's still missing opportunities. So I think the team works better in the half court and works better with someone that probably operates a little bit more like how Benno operates. So I don't know. I still think Ish is the better player but Benno might be the better fit. Yeah. I will say Ish, Ish is terrified of clowns, for what it's worth. <laughs> I learned this from Andre Drummond's Snapchat. Ish is very terrified of clowns. And this is something you can only learn on this podcast. I had, yeah. I had no idea. That's breaking news again. That's great. No, on Andre's Snapchat, Reggie Bullock dressed up as a clown and scared Ish when he was getting out of his car at the practice facility. So I take that to mean... Ish is terrified of clowns. So if you want a guy running the bench <coughs> who's terrified of clowns, Ish is your guy. He That's was scared. For what it's worth. He was scared Ishless. <laughs> well played. <laughs> that was terrible. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> that was a great question, Ben. I think it's a really nice place to leave that the pod, was, that too. That was a really good question. That that's That's one that, again hit up the comments and let us know what you think because it's now something to consider with Reggie just a few more weeks away from returning. So, And let us know what you think, think of about. clowns. Let us know what you think of clowns. Yeah, generally let us know what you think of clowns. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing it's mostly negative. Mostly I'm, scared. <laughs> yeah, I think it's not going to be positive. Yeah. Alright, well Ben, I... I wish you all the luck in the world and I hope everything goes fantastic and you can join us sooner rather than later. Uh... I'm definitely going to, to miss miss my partner on the pod for a few weeks. It's, it's going to be weird to do it without you. I know. I just shed a, a single tear trickling down my right cheek as you said that. No, <laughs> that I, I really appreciate so it. So sarcastic. <laughs> that was deadpan. That was no, like, I, uh, you sold it right there. In my seriousness, thank you very much for the kind words. Um, I am excited and terrified and everywhere in between. <laughs> so, um, Wait. Serious question for the pod. Don't don't cut this out. Did you get a Pistons Uni for the kids? <laughs> uh, not yet, but I do have a little hand puppet of Hooper, and that oh, is not a awesome. joke. So it's <laughs> nice. a, nice. a real thing. <laughs> nice. And I also have a very fantastic onesie. Um, I'm a U of M fan, and my wife is unfortunately a Spartan fan, having gone there for her master's degree. And uh, the onesie has a football half Michigan, half Michigan State, uh, dad on one side, mom on the other, and it says, I'm the tiebreaker. And that oh. is the darn cutest thing. Well played. Yeah. Well played. So 
I'm going to miss the podcast for a few weeks, um, but I will be listening. And uh, I normally don't listen back because I can't handle listening to myself. <laughs> so I will be a listener uh, looking forward to seeing what Jordan and the rest of you guys do for the next few weeks. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm interested uh, where we go from here. Maybe it all falls apart without you. I... Wouldn't that make you feel good? <laughs> Wouldn't part of you feel good if that happened? <laughs> Uh, I'll be and like Jay- Reggie. I'll just be waiting, waiting for my comeback. Everyone will. That's right. That's right. Just <laughs> warming up. Man, what is Ben getting back? <laughs> That's right. And uh, Jamie will definitely have you on again. And I think what I've learned from this episode is we'll have you on to talk uh, to talk some Vegas odds at some point. Maybe like second half over unders or something. Ooh, um, yes. Because that's that's something that I I would love to talk a little bit more of on this podcast. So that that's something uh, I'd like to have you on for in the future. And then you've got to prepare like a postscript that plays in like four times audio speed. Like DBB does not promote or endorse or blah blah blah, blah <laughs> gambling. Blah, 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 blah. I need one of that's those. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys, and thank you everyone for listening. And uh, we'll have more coming for you soon. Thanks.